everyone it is saturday the 17th of june 2023 you're listening to new game old play my name is andy i'm your host we're here again once more with a crew hello diego hello everyone hello Wido. hi and we have a special guest today we have malte aka thunderblade from protovision 64 hello how are you doing malte i'm doing great Thank you. I hope you too. Yes, yes. Thank you for being here and thank you for taking part in this. It's uh, very appreciated from our side. We play a lot of games uh, made for old platforms and I think we've played a lot of ProtoVisions ones as well. So it was in order um, to have a little interview also to understand how how your world is um, as a let's say as a publisher. Right. So, um, before we do start, we have um, I have a bunch of questions. I have also numbered them. There are twenty five. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, but uh, before we start, I would like you to tell us a bit about yourself, if, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, don't ask about my age. Um, <laughs> well, I won't um, unveil my age, but I can tell you that I was born in 1974. So do the math, right? So oh, yes. um, I founded ProtoVision actually when I was young or younger uh, in 1996 um, together with um, Big User, alias Stefan. Um, okay. Yeah, he's he's known today as a graphician uh, for Sense Journey, for instance. Um, and oh, right. um, I was part of ProVision until 2004. Um, then I left. Um, yeah, I uh, got married. I uh, focused on my my job, my real job. Uh, for, okay. for for none of us, ProVision is the real job, right? Uh, maybe we come back to that topic later. Yes. Um, and recently, I I rejoined. Um, yeah, we can talk about this also a bit uh, maybe uh, later today. Yeah. Um, more about myself. Yeah. Um, I have a daughter. She's 11 years old. Um, she's what are your with passions as well after my, yeah, my passions? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, guess. <laughs> it, it's, it's, yeah. I'm, I mean, um, of course, it's ret retro, retro computing, right? Uh, the mm -hmm. Commodore 64 is my number one platform, has been since 1987. Uh, I also have a sweet spot for the Amiga. Um, yeah, but I also like nature a lot. Uh, I like to go hiking. Um, and um, yeah, I'm also interested in all kinds of, you know, fitness. So I, do, I go to the gym on a regular basis and nice. um, caring about my health, you know, with being becoming older, it's important to care about your, your health. Yes, definitely. It's important uh, to keep yourself fit, especially uh, as you get older. And uh, yes, we're similar age. There's only one year difference between me and you and... Um, and Diego as well. I think Diego is the same um, age as me. So we're all there. We're all there. <laughs> well, I have 10 years ago. Not we don't. 10 years ago. No, but I also God. go to the gym uh, to stay fit. So, uh, yeah, we're all there. Excellent. <laughs> Wido is, is the youngster, the rebellious youngster. <laughs> he joined yeah. late in the game. <laughs> My first computer yeah. was an Amiga well, to... Uh, to uh, give, a, give a little idea of how old I am. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, um, just to finish off the topic, yeah, I think it is very important. I go to the gym, try to go every day. I've been going since I was 16. I never stopped. Oh, wow. But I've always done just bodybuilding, so I'm not super successful at it. But <laughs> I, I do a lot of weights. That, that's what I like doing. That, and I try and do lots of different things, but nothing. That's, that's very interesting because, um, you know, I uh, when I was younger, I didn't do anything mm. No sports, no gym at all. I was just, you know, this kind of nerdy guy sitting in front <laughs> of the computer all the time. And uh, I only started later um, when I, you know, when I had my first uh, back pains, uh, I thought, okay, this cannot go on. <laughs> uh, so are those better now? Oh, yeah. Ah, well, well, that's really good. I'm happy for you. I also stay off a lot of cakes and stuff and sweet stuff. Try to be healthy as much as possible. It's difficult, but, you know, you do it. I know. I know. Yeah. I do. I do uh, similar things. So I try to stay away from from candy and and uh, cake and so on. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I know how it tastes, right? So why why should I eat it all the time? <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, as we ask every guest that we have on the show, can you give us a, a salty snack or savory snack and a sweet snack that you would recommend from your home country oh from my home country i guess uh, yeah the age Ango. of global <laughs> you know global food supply <laughs> chains is here and so on so yeah i mean nothing special i mean i like i like um, potato chips yeah and uh, yeah but which ones yeah which ones you know uh, salt and onion um Oh. Are you asking for a brand? I, I don't have a particular brand in mind. Maybe Chio chips? I don't know if you know them. Is that yeah. German? Is that German brand? Yeah, maybe it's German. I yeah, think it doesn't so. sound yeah. German, but we, we have <laughs> I it guess in it's, the Netherlands, but... it's a German brand. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, sweet snack, I'm, I'm not eating uh, sweet snacks anymore, but I used to love, you know, um, Twix. So it was it, it yes. was called uh, uh, Raider in, in German. In Germany. Oh, yes. yes. Raider or in English, maybe Raider. I don't know. So that's, I guess, why they renamed it because in, in other languages than German, uh, Raider or Raider is a bit, you know, like... Um, you you are planning a raid, right? <laughs> uh, so you eat some raider. I don't know. They renamed it to Twix. But I, when I grew up, it was uh, it was raider. I mean, it was the same well. in Italy, really. It had yeah. the same name. What was mm. it called in Italy? I forgot. Raider. Yeah, yeah in the Netherlands as well. I, I can remember that. Yeah. Really. <laughs> oh, yeah. My memory is not what it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it changed person. in the early nineties. There was a campaign on the television yeah, explaining exactly. this. This was a commercial explaining it that in the rest of the world it's called Twix. So. Yeah, in Germany it was it was uh, there was a it, it was rhyming. Raider heißt jetzt Twix, sonst ändert sich nix. So in, in English, uh, <laughs> Raider is now Twix and nothing else changes, just the name. Oh. Um, yeah, in German, in German it, 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 it was a rhyme. So It rings really well. That's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I'll have you know that I eat a lot of Finnish snacks provided from my cousin. Diego is my cousin and he sometimes brings me like a, a suitcase of snacks and I really love them, especially the... <laughs> I love the the crisps and the, there's some oat chips. They're getting uh, that are really legendary amazing. now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, that's that's interesting. So um, when I still was together with my wife, uh, she's from Slovakia, um, and whenever we went there, I bought the the, the Slovak or Czech chocolate. So mm. there is a Studenska Pecet, which is a chocolate, which I really love. That's not available in Germany. I always bought it, and there's also some other sweet. 
uh, chocolate thing, which is not available in Germany. It's, it's basically a little round piece of chocolate called Fidoka, uh, which is also mostly sugar probably. But uh, yeah, I, I really <laughs> like that as well. And sometimes when 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 my relatives uh, visited from Slovakia, they brought a big box of this Fidoka and it was a calorie bomb. <laughs> that sounds really good. I mean, I, I'd like to try one of those Vidoka. Vidoka. Yeah, and there was something else. It was called Tribit. So in English, three bit. So it oh. actually was named uh, um, three bit, like eight bit, but just three of them. <laughs> so um, I always bought, you know, three three bit. So it was nine bit, and then I broke off a little piece, so it was eight bit. <laughs> <laughs> and you could call it Commodore sixty four. <laughs> Nice. I I like all these stories. I uh, like. Yeah, I was going to make a joke about the bits, but you did it. That's good. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, right. So um, I think we we need to start getting into a bit of uh, of computer stuff now. And I would like to ask you. Uh, you said you've always had a passion for the Commodore sixty four, and I would like to ask you if you have any fond memories, like images or stuff that is you know in your head that you remember really fondly. I have some. Uh, we've just said this in another show as well. What's your best memory of, you know, interacting with a Commodore 64? Is it with friends? Is it, did you, do you remember a certain setting that you were playing or something? Yeah, so the, the, of course, yeah, there, there are a couple of things. So first, of course, it's one of the very early games I played, which was David's Midnight Magic. It was a pinball game. Very simple graphics. I guess everyone knows this one, but somehow very mm. addictive. So I really loved that. It was when I had my 64 brand new in 1987. It was hooked up to my parents' TV, um, and I was playing this game a very long time. Um, that was one of the first memories. Then I think um, I fell in love with Katakis uh, when Katakis came out. Oh, um, yeah, I remember. The, simply this title screen and the music, um, you just knew that this was something special. Um, then winter games, of course. Um, I saw this, I think, at a neighbor. I, I visited a neighbor, um, and there we played winter games. Um, this was really, you know, you were part of this world there. It was a perfect world, you know, um, pixel perfect. There was no, you know, no trash lying around. It was like uh, very polished in, in, in my view. Yeah, and to yeah. you, uh, this this experience that you could influence what's happening on screen. Uh, I connect this with, with winter games and, and yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And then Katakis, and then of course games like Maniac Mansion. Um, that that still, you know, gives me shivers when I think about Maniac Mansion and the intro where this meteor is coming down. Um, yeah, uh, that, that were the early memories. And then um, later, I also um, had an Amiga. And of course, you know, you when you have an Amiga, you don't touch the C64 so much anymore. But I mm. did not sell my C64. I kept it around. That's very, very wise. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> and um, I found out that, you know, the Amiga basically inspired programmers and graphicians and composers to do more on the C64. Mm. And um, one of my, my uh, really uh, sticking memories is uh, a demo called El Dorado by Origo, Origo Dreamline, yeah. which showed a um, high-resolution interlace uh, logo with extremely lots of colors. Yes. And when I saw this, I thought, this is, this is simply impossible. And and they made this they made this in a way where they display this logo. It's extremely colorful. It's flickering, okay, but not so much. And there's no music and there's no other movement. And 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 I thought, 
okay, this is so incredible. Of course, there's no CPU time left for music or anything else. And then suddenly a music started playing. And then suddenly a scroller was coming up. And uh, yeah, this stick with me forever. And I thought, okay, Amazing. this machine is special. Yes. I will I will keep it. And and uh, yeah, of course, I also kept it because um, I was able to, you know, to program it much better than, than the Amiga. That, that, that's, a, that's a different topic. But for, for memories, it sticked into my mind uh, the, were those early games and then those demos that, that took the C64 where, where no one ever expected it to be. Yes. So did you also make your own games uh, around that time? <laughs> yes, I tried to. I started to uh, write some games uh, in basic, but never finished them. I did one game with Shoot'em Up Construction Kit, which is called Fighting Racer. Uh, it's, it's a very crap game. You can look it up on, on uh, <laughs> GameBase 64. Um, yeah, I mean, I was 14 when I did this. Um, um, but um, yeah, then I stopped kind of because uh, I, I always wanted to do games, but it was too difficult. Um, I, I Instead, I just played games. I used demo makers and so on. So um, yeah, later, later uh, uh, I again tried um, to do uh, an own game. It was a conversion uh, of an Amiga game, uh, Mike the Magic Dragon, which was a kind of like Jumpman Junior, but with very nice graphics in the background. But uh, also, I, I didn't finish this project. So it's on games that weren't today. And uh, yeah, actually, um, somehow I never got around to do my own games. I ended up, you know, helping other people doing games in Photovision, kind of being a project manager kind of role. You know, this 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 guy, the project manager, who doesn't do any programming, composing, or graphics, but it's very important um, because if he's not a project manager in the project, no one gets things done. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, but still, uh, it's it's kind of, you know, everyone hates you because um, you, are, <laughs> you have to kick everyone's ass every now and then. So that was my, 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 my role uh, initially in, in ProtoVision. When I was younger, I started off with the ZX Spectrum. And I think what everyone misses nowadays, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to experience this ever. But I remember you were watching television and also, you know, there was a thing called teletext. <laughs> but the stuff on the screen, you couldn't move it. And I remember the first time you could influence, as you said, right. the screen movement. That was the magic that no one else nowadays, uh, I think, can can experience. And, uh, and moving pixels was something that was incredible. You were moving something on the screen and that sort of... Um, experience has now dissolved and it doesn't exist anymore but that was really really cool i still remember those days right but now we have vr headsets for other kids yeah which yeah. are different kind of special so what, what do you think about today's um technology i do do you do you think do you like it do you do you try it are you enthusiastic about it oh absolutely so um i'm i'm really glad to to um to be still around and witness how far technology has come. Um, things that are possible today, we have only dreamt of years ago, right? Yeah. So um, everything that, that you know, we, 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 our generation invented is now state of the art. You know, we, we used computers to write messages. We saved the messages on a disk and sent the disk elsewhere. Then we instead used a modem and transferred the message via a telephone to some other person and everyone was like what what are you doing this for why don't you just write a letter on a piece of paper and we were mm. like yeah that is the future now everyone is doing it everywhere yeah. 
right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we were we were using uh, on the Amiga. We were using sound samplers to digitize music. Um, now everyone listens to digitized music only. No one knows what is non-digitized music. It's very hard to explain, <laughs> That's true. Um, right? And, yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, graphics. I mean, on the C64 and on the Amiga, we were using computers to generate graphics or to to, to create graphics. And uh, this is also back then it was unique, and nowadays everything is created on a computer. So. Uh, I really like how how far we have come, and that we that we we our generation and the way we have invented things um, has has changed the world um, so drastically to 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 yeah more creativity and more possibilities and um, yeah I mean also in the automotive space right where where cars are now computers on wheels yeah. and can do can do more and more things on their own. Uh, it's it's really incredible. I mean, we don't go go to space uh, yet. <laughs> we don't have a transporter uh, like beam me up, Scotty. Um, but we, <laughs> but have, we, we have we have many many other things, right? Even replicators are almost here in the form of three D printers. Um, yeah, that's so, incredible. Yeah, it's really great. And we've seen it all from Pong to VR and to yeah. the PlayStation Five. So we've seen all the advancements and how quick they are. So yeah, very very impressive. Well, let's get down to the real topic of this is, you know, ProtoVision. You said you you started off with ProtoVision, then you left, then you came back. But obviously, the first question that I have is, you know, what made you, what was the original goal of ProtoVision when you first um, made it? You mean back then in 1996? Yes. Wow, yes. yeah. So back then, Stefan and myself and a few other people got together and we saw uh, a decline in in great games for the Commodore 64. Back then, there was no retro or nostalgia movement yet. It started <laughs> a few years later, right? Yes. But um, everyone was like, yeah, the C64 is still around. And those people that still own it probably are just too poor. They cannot afford a better computer. <laughs> <laughs> no. And we just had a different opinion. We just thought, okay, the, this machine is special. It has unique capabilities. And um, you still can, as, as, as a small team, you know, one programmer, one graphician, and one musician um, can create great games. And um, that's what we thought should be done. And we saw that example for instance, uh, they had some great titles on on uh, on the C sixty four. Yeah, they they were gone, and um, we thought, okay, someone has to go on. Someone has to carry on this legacy and do new games. And um, that's that's how it started. Uh, actually, um, Stefan, so so big user, he started with his first project, which was Stroke World, which was a kind of primitive game, but um, you know, we did what we could do, Makes and. Yeah, that, that's how it all started. Are, are those games still for sale, those uh, those early games? Um, I think Stroke World was um, released as a public domain, so it's it's available for free um, mm. uh, now. Um, yeah, but then came Bomb Mania, right? Um, Bomb Mania was released in 1997, and um, it was... Um, it was a huge success. We didn't we didn't expect it ourselves. Nice. Back then, um, the design of the four player interface uh, was really revolutionary, and and you know it was in parallel to you know the technical aspects. It was also us of observing how the media manipulated 
the crowd. Like, oh, now you can play with four players on the new Nintendo Super Set. Uh, the Nintendo Super Set was just an 8-bit NES with an adapter to, to have um, four controllers. And we thought, hey, you can do this also on the C64, but no one <laughs> talks about it. Um, <laughs> right? And um, so we made it happen. And that, that, that was also, I think, the reason why this... Um, this motto came up, creating the future. So um, mm. why not, you know, everyone was talking about, oh, yeah, the C64, those good old times, yeah, they are they are over now. And we were like, uh, no, we just carry them on. <laughs> why not? Yes, yes, that's a good way to go. So then you left ProtoVision to uh, focus on your job, you said before. Is that right? Yes, yes, correct. So you have to be aware that in, in the in the 90s, uh, mid-90s, uh, late 90s, um, I mean, you said you are similar age, so mm. you were maybe still in school or you were at university, you were studying, and next to those things you can, you can afford to do a time-intensive um, hobby like, uh, like you know, do pr programming games on the C64 and so on. But as soon as um, the serious uh, aspects of life start, it gets harder and harder to, to do this. And especially in the beginning when you have a new job, um, it, well, it was very difficult to carry on in, in ProtoVision. For me, um, um, it was not, not only that I did no longer have the time, but everyone else also was slowing down. And I, as a kind of project manager, um, I didn't have any means to, to, you know, kick people's asses because everyone said, <laughs> everyone mean, said, yeah, uh, this is just a hobby. It, it's supposed to be fun. This project will be delayed uh, for another six months, another year. Uh, it was very, very exhausting. Um, I know what you mean. <laughs> and and uh, Metal Dust, Metal Dust was our big project back then. Um, and it was huge for us. Um, and it was so tough to to get this out the door and yeah at the same time i i um i married my back then girlfriend and uh, yeah i thought okay um, now i have my job i have my my wife and um i i still i'm interested in the c64 um i was interested in 2004 but no longer as an active contributor to the scene so um i decided to leave protovision and um to cheer from the sidelines yeah a good choice you know i mean if you've had enough and yeah and it becomes a stress then why do it it doesn't make sense it has to be fun yeah and one major aspect back then was that provision that some members of provision had the opinion that it's very important not just to create new games for the commodore 64 but also to act like a commercial company with a great website and with a distribution mm. shop where you could order those games Mm, yeah. um, and and I was like, this is so much extra work, you know, set up this website and, you yes. know, fulfill the orders and so on. And yes. it's not worth it's not worth it because back then the community actually was shrinking. Uh, later it was growing again massively, but back then the community was shrinking and people still would pirate the games and not buy them. Um, so I said, why, why don't we put our, our, our titles online for free? Like, for example, Covered Bitops, um, Ernie with his Metal Warrior, he did this. Um, mm. and, and yeah, we couldn't agree on this. And uh, back then, JTR, who still is in ProVision today, said, no, we have to be like a commercial company. Even if we are not, we have to give the impression that there is at least one actively um, supporting the C64 company. 
Um, mm -hmm. And um, I was like, yeah, I get this idea, but it's far too much work. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't, didn't take part in that anymore. I do, I do like the passion behind it, like this really strong drive to say, ah, oh, we need to, there needs to be one company that cares for the commerce as well. I do like that <laughs> to sentiment. keep it alive. <laughs> yeah. But then you went back. Yeah. 20 years later. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, just, just uh, this year uh, I came back. So, um, all right. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So I, um, yeah and and yeah guess what um because i saw that um those those people who who back then told me yeah it's important to do it exactly like we do it like uh, you know sell sell the games you know with instruction manuals in nice boxes with little uh, uh, bonus uh, items and so on um they were right the whole time <laughs> Turns and out. um and uh, uh, also i mean they were still around I, I never would have expected Photovision to be still around in 2023. I mean, when you Incredible. found, when you, I found it in 1996 and it's still around in 2023. That's, I mean, that's a dream come true basically. And I, um, yeah, I, I visited the BCC party uh, in Berlin uh, earlier this year, mm -hmm. and there I met uh, two of my uh, former. Colleagues from ProDivision, uh, JTR, uh, Jakob, who was uh, there all the time, and Courage, alias uh, Marcos, uh, who also came back uh, uh, one year before me, I think. And then we agreed on, okay, I will be back. And the moment <laughs> I said that I will rejoin ProDivision, I saw, I saw their eyes, you know, lighten up for a moment. <laughs> uh, uh, and this was, was a great, great moment for me as well, because oh, it felt like, like uh, coming home. That's a great feeling. That that must be like really amazing. But you you say colleagues, but are they also friends? Yeah, colleagues is not the right word. Uh, it's it's actually that they are friends. Uh, so at least the old the old guys like like JTR and and Courage, uh, there are, there are nowadays so many other members in ProDivision that I only know through Discord. Um, but those old old guys are still are still my friends, and I, I kept in touch with them all, all through all those years. Any other reasons why you rejoined Protovision? Yeah, actually, there is there is another one. It's a quite a sad one. Maybe you have heard of my brother Milo, aka MacGyver, who died last year, uh, completely unexpected. I'm sorry. Um, he was part of, yeah, yeah, thanks. He was he was part of Protovision as well. So so. He was kind of this project manager guy, this guy in the background pulling the strings and getting people together. Um, Outrage, have you, have you played Outrage? Outrage is a title that was actually programmed in 1993 or something, was never released um, due to the original publisher going out of business. And my brother was hunting this game for, for decades. And he finally managed to get it released, um, in, I think, in 2021. Um, he was this kind of guy. He didn't write a single line of code there, but he, without him, it would never have been released. So, yeah, and now he's gone, and then he left a big gap. And somehow I, I, I'm hoping to fill the, that gap um, a bit uh, as, yeah, as much as possible. And um, He left a legacy of, of uh, outrage, which is, yeah, like a symbolic uh, thing that he left here for, for you, right. you know. And I think it's um it's really cool that um that you were both involved in this together as well. So you had like a probably a very good relationship with him. 
Absolutely. Yeah. He was very dear yeah. to me. Mm. So you come back many years later. Very sadly, your brother is no longer there. What did you think about ProtoVision then? You know, how did you find Oh, I was blown away. Um, so um, JDR, of course, all over the years, he, he learned a lot. Like the whole um, supply chain thing of, you know, getting manuals printed back then. It was just, you know, little black and white things out of the home printer cut out with a, with a scissors and so on. But um, nowadays it's so professional and um, also the games themselves. I mean, back then we had some great types like, like you know, Ice Guys and Bomania, Metal Dust. Uh, but nowadays the games are, are so much, so much better. Like, you know, I, I don't know if you have played Muddy Racers, for instance. It's, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did. And, and um, the, the, the sheer amount of, of stuff that's available now, there's even hardware is available and there are projects ongoing. I mean, have you heard of the Protopad project? It's, it's, it's just incredible. Yeah, it's insane. It's, it's those, those guys have, have, um, have lived their dream continuously um, and, and that's really great. And so many talented members are now on board. Um, would I make some changes? Um, maybe, you know, get them closer together a bit so they ah that's nice they they, they, they currently ProDivision is more like a, almost like a company where there are a number of people everyone works on their thing but there's not such a big team spirit anymore as there used to be and mm. maybe I, I can bring this back or re-instantiate it um, uh, give it a new vitality um, but that, that's, you know, that's, that's all that, that I could say. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> just host a party yeah, for everyone. That's right. And that's what I'm already. Helps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Host a party. Uh, that's actually what I'm already discussing with, with JTR, uh, that's who, awesome. who, ran, who ran ProDivision all, uh, through all those years. Um, but it's difficult because the ProDivision members are spread all across Europe and, and some, some are even, uh, in, I think one is, one guy is in Australia or New Zealand or something. It's, it's, it's amazing. Wow. That's insane. How many people? How many people are in ProDivision then? I think it's about like twenty or so. I, wow. I, I really haven't counted them, but uh, yeah, nowadays I mean, you know, back then it was like, was like okay, we we had a couple of members and uh, that was it. But nowadays it's more like um, people see what ProDivision is doing and uh, want to become a part of of, of, of ProDivision. So we get requests. Um, from people who wrote games, um, can can you publish that game? Um, right. Or uh, I love what ProDivision is doing. Um, can can I join? And can I do something to help you? Mm. And uh, that's that's why nowadays we yeah we have lots of lots of members. Um, some are doing graphics. Um, some are doing uh, you know play testing. Um, some are doing um, you know things like you know putting new posts on Twitter and so on. So um, it's really really effective. That's a really nice and, team. Uh, is it all on vo voluntarily basis or are there actually people on a payroll <laughs> or is it just everyone is having fun? And uh... Yeah, so so to be crystal clear, ProtoVision is not making any profits because mm. uh, the amount of games uh, that, that ProtoVision is selling is too low for that. Even, even titles like Sam's Journey who sell in the four-figure uh, uh, numbers is, um, I mean, those... Those amounts to produce those games, like cartridges, discs, boxes, and so on, are from a professional point of view very low amounts. So each 
each game itself to produce the physical edition is, is quite expensive and there's a very low margin. Um, so, uh, and most of the, the money goes to the programmers, um, but the programmers also, uh, I mean, they, they, they maybe can use the money to, to pay their electricity bill or something, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. so it's, it's all voluntarily, it's all, you know, hobby and, and, uh, enthusiasm and fun. I, I, I spoke with a developer in, I mean, in 2022 now, I think when we spoke to him and he was saying that in fact, people prefer surprisingly still buying the cartridges and the actual boxes as you said compared to the digital version he was expecting to have a surge in digital uh, purchases but he didn't and what he was selling most was the physical copy which i found it was really incredible it is that the same in protovision well it depends on the title actually oh, so okay. um when sam's journey uh, was out in 2017 Actually, a lot of people bought the physical release. Um, some bought the digital release and then later also bought the physical release just yeah. because they wanted to have this game um, physically in their hands to put it in their, in their cupboard on, on their shelf, right? I, I do um, that all the time for modern games. So. Yes, so pe <laughs> people just just love, you know, having this 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 old feeling like, okay, I go to a store, I come home with a box, I open the box, I read the manual, I put the disc in the drive, or I put the cartridge in the Commodore sixty four. Uh, people just want this. Um, mm, yes. Until recently, I think since we have this inflation and so on, people are a bit slower on physical releases, and uh, the digital um, downloads have increased a bit. Mm. Interesting. And one last thing I wanted to touch on was before you were mentioning how many more uh, things there are nowadays for the Commodore 64, there are new devices, there's new software is much better. And yeah, we were discussing about uh, C64 OS. I don't know if you've heard about it. I have heard about it and I, uh, I, I'm, I'm interested at one point in time to look into it. I haven't yet. But um, it, of course, reminded me of a project that, that ProDivision started I think also in 1996 or something, 1997, which was called Clips. Clips was also an idea of an operating system for the C64 um, to replace mm. uh, GEOS. Um, but it was based around the super CPU uh, from CMD uh, back then. Um, but we gave up on it. Uh, later, we merged it with Wings, the Wings project. Um, but then uh, we didn't do anything uh, anymore on it because, you know, operating systems are a huge amount of work to, to make them really useful. It's underestimated. Yeah. Uh, often people sometimes think, oh, an operating system is just a scheduler and, you know, a few drivers and so on. But um, to make them really useful is, is, uh, is hard work. And so yes. uh, back then we stopped the clips, but you can, I think it's somewhere around still. Um, but I, I, like, I like what people are doing today with C64 OS um, because uh, it shows that the C64 is not just for games. It's also for applications. And that's something that I also really love about the C64. Um, I'm not a fan of, you know, Nintendo, for example. I just really, <laughs> just really cannot do anything with that, that, that hardware. I can just uh, insert a cartridge and play a game. But the C64, mm. you know, you can always... Um, write your own stuff, you can always load applications, you can compose music, you can draw images and so on. And that, that's great. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I was going to ask you a tricky question, Amiga or Commodore 64, but I know the, the answer because you gave it before. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know, Diego, do you have any questions? Well, well uh, since you 
you were already mentioning this. I, I was wondering because we we've had the pleasure to review a pig quest extensively in one episode dedicated to it, and most of the developers are Italian. I was wondering uh, how do you easily or not manage game projects from other countries? Do you find any any cultural differences or anything that uh, comes to your mind, or is it just the same for you? It's not the same for 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 any. Every every uh, project is unique, and it really depends. I don't think it depends on the country, but it depends on the individuals that are involved. Some um, are like we were in the 90s. They are hobbyists, and they want to create a game for the C64. Some are doing it for the first time or the second time and still go through a steep learning curve. And some are... Um, professionals who work in, in, in regular IT jobs, maybe programming jobs, and have managed projects on their own. And that's completely different then, of course, right? But then there's also, you know, taste, like, okay, how should the game be structured, uh, difficulty level, some or most programmers overestimate um, the capabilities of the people playing the game. So we have to tell people, <laughs> don't this. make it so difficult, you know. <laughs> um, so, uh, and and some, some are very perfectionist. They want to, you know, I mean, for them, it's fulfilling their own dream. So they want the game exactly like they envision it. And they don't really accept when, when, when our people, you know, we test, we test it and we say, okay, we understand what you want to do here, but for a gamer that doesn't know your vision, it's, it's completely underst not understandable. It's very frustrating. Make it a bit more accessible. Yeah, but that would mean I have to change, you know, this code and that code. I don't want that. And so on. So we, we, we often have this kind of discussion, but Overall, it's it's very productive and very positive vibes when when we um, work with, with with developers. I mean, many developers are not even members of ProtoVision. They just come to us and ask if we publish the game, or we come to them and say, "Hey, uh, this game looks great. Can we publish it?" Um, but uh, the the spirit is always there to make the best the best game possible. Um, and you know, things like, "Okay, can you support?" Um, a cartridge version in addition to a disc version. I mean, that's extra work, right? And and people are usually very open to, to spend this extra uh, effort and go, go the extra mile. For accessibility, um, I also have a, a little bit... I never had a C64, and I still don't have it. Um, but I still somehow have the problem that um, I'm, I, I play the games on Mister, but I have a lot of options there, and I don't know... How to save and uh, the cartridge is uh, uh, isn't saving or something. I, I I don't know. But is there somewhere a tutorial or something you are planning to make or maybe uh, uh, embedded with emulation the, the 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 cartridges so you so it's easier to play for for someone who isn't known with the C64 because for me it's really like a, a something mysterious <laughs> what I'm doing. Ah. I, I really don't know what I'm doing. For example, you, you could yeah. port it to other platforms like a Switch or something. Is there any plans for for stuff like that in uh, in ProtoVision? Yeah, so so I think you, you brought up a very good point there. 
um, of course, the, the, the audience that we have in mind is the owners of the Commodore 64. Um, but um, it's, it's, it's totally valid what you are saying. There are many uh, retro computing enthusiasts today who have such platforms like Mister, which can basically provide lots of different um, machines in emulation, but very close to the real thing. And then, I mean, you just cannot assume that the user or player knows everything about the machine. They just want to play the game, right? So um, that, that's very good feedback, actually. Um, we, we have to make it... Um, also for those people more accessible that they just can play the game enjoy the game without you know tr having to understand all the mechanisms of uh, how cartridges work and how safe games work and and how the keyboard works and so on yeah that's right <laughs> yeah um, i usually have like you you can play it with only the controller which is good or the joystick actually yeah. <laughs> i playing with the controller but that's already really nice so you don't need the keyboard but uh yeah there could be a little bit of an extra mal to sort of tutorialize how to run this games <laughs> but i usually get them running and i, I enjoy playing them so uh, that's good but uh yeah for all our listeners now Wido is going to work for with protovision and goodbye it's been nice <laughs> <laughs> I have um, one question that is uh, on my list is why only Commodore 64 and not Amiga? You said you like the Amiga as well. And now I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a very good and very valid question. And thanks for, for bringing this up. Um, it's just that there is only so much capacity. Um, and we have been discussing this again and again over the years. It comes back as a recurring topic. Should we consider other platforms as well? Um, and in the end, we decided not to do it because um, we want to bring the best games to one platform, the Commodore 64 that we chose. Um, and uh, as soon as we start other platforms, people would say, okay, now you have the Amiga, but why don't you have the Super Nintendo? Or why not the Atari ST or the Atari XL800? Uh, um, why not uh, the ZX Spectrum and so on and so on? Um, there are other people nowadays, uh, like like Polyplay, who, who do multi-platform support, and, and that's great. Um, but but we want to be focused on the on the C64, probably also because um, our idols in quotes, like example <laughs> or, or other other developers like Cosmos Designs, Hannes Sommer, uh, um, they were also doing games only for the C64, um, and uh, it's just a platform we we know best. I mean, if you really want to create not just average titles, not ill title, but a great one, you really have to know the platform inside out. Yeah, so so let's let's take Sam's journey as an example. Um, you have all seen it. It was designed for the Commodore 64. You have to know the platform you are working on, and of course we discussed. Hey, we could do it on Amiga, right? Um, but how? Can we reuse the same graphics and just do some copper bars in the background? Probably not, right? Right. And yeah. uh, so, um, yeah, the the original authors of Sam's Journey are now working on a, an a NES version for the Nintendo Entertainment System. But yeah, and and, and I've seen it, it's, and, and maybe you have seen those trailers on YouTube. It's it's really uh, great, and it's better than than lots of other NES games that I've seen. So maybe I will finally even get to play something on the NES. <laughs> um, but we in, we in ProDivision decided we, we are not going to distribute it because, yeah, we just stay 
focused on 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 our on our single platform i mean yes there are many many other great uh, great platforms out there but uh, we just don't have the capacity and we know the c64 inside out and that's why we stay on this platform it's also good for the customer that they they go to your place for c64 stuff and it's not diluted with all other stuff you you know yeah. that uh, when you you're seeking out for a new c64 game you're at the protovision you're at the good place yeah so i i had some other questions here for example one of the biggest ones that you might spend a bit of time on is how do you select the games you choose to publish you said before you kind of either you go to the to the developer or the developer comes to you is there a selection process is there anything yes so it has changed over the years so in the past where there was a time when developers doing games for the Commodore 64 were were, were scarce and, and not easy to find yeah. um, so we were glad about uh, about smaller titles um, that that we could publish but nowadays uh, i mean that was before i rejoined right but nowadays it's really like okay we want high quality games we really want to have this this kind of um, um, concept of maybe a bit like a bit like the big um, console uh, companies like like Nintendo um, when they started why did they win uh, over our home computers right we, mm. I was always wondering why was the Nintendo Entertainment System more successful than the Commodore 64 they are both 8-bit platforms yeah they were successful because the games were available on cartridge only and Nintendo earned money not with a console but with the games they sold. So they tried their very best to ensure that every game you bought was at least kind of good, if not mm -hmm. excellent. And and that's what Protovision doing today. We want to ensure that when the customer and and I mean yes we are uh, we are you know we are the nerds we are the fans we are the enthusiasts but in the end we are giving products to the community and they pay for it so we have an obligation to 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 make sure that they get some value for the money they are spending even if we are not you know making profits uh, it's still that they have to spend money so we are looking at at the titles that that people are coming uh, with uh, to us and sometimes we say sorry this game is quite nice but we don't think it's good enough for ProDivision. Or we say, hey, it's a fantastic idea. Uh, we have this and that um, uh, improvement suggestions. Uh, are you ready to implement that? Um, and if yes, then, then yeah, we, are, we are working on that. And um, something has also changed. Back in the day, somehow, if a project went on for like more than a year or two years, it was very unlikely that it ever got finished. <laughs> nowadays, yeah. nowadays because you know um, this kind of feeling, oh, we have to finish it before the the platform is commercially dead. This kind of fear is gone. <laughs> so sometimes yeah, yeah. projects go on for like three years or five years and then get published. Um, and and that means that everyone can take their time. Um, of course, not too long, but they can take their time to polish their own game to make it really perfect and not just the programmers themselves like it but also the audience likes it and because the audience likes it the programmers like it even more and and i mean 
it's really something that you leave behind for this for 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 this uh, uh, yeah this community. Um, you can tap yourself on the shoulder and be very proud of yourself if you really manage to finish such a project. Um, especially nowadays, I mean nowadays we have better tools, cross development, and so on. But still, it's very very uh, much work and, and very tough to finish a, a game. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and it's more even more so when it's supposed to be a game that's really fun because um, I mean you know the, you know the flood of games we saw in the late 80s and early 90s when everyone want, wanted to make a quick buck um, with 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 doing a cheap you know mind game where you move around some blocks and so on. Uh, we don't want that, right? We want quality games and uh, and you're doing them and you're doing them. I mean, uh, the I. Personally, I feel you you are the guys who have the most heavy hitters in in on the Commodore 64. We've played yeah Pig Quest, which is absolutely brilliant, enormous game. We spoke with the developers; they are really nice bunch. Uh, we played uh, the Brightly Witch Chronicles, always I think from Protovision, another big game, heavy hitter, really nice game. We played Sam's Journey. Obviously, that goes without saying. Sam's Journey is in the first time I saw Sam's Journey. Sam's Journey, I was like gobsmacked that that was running on a Commodore sixty four. Um, and obviously, we played uh, the, the latest ones that we've um, that you've kindly offered us to to review. So the Muddy Racers uh, is it from Monte Boyd? I think uh, the guy that made it. And then um, I was playing um, Cursed Tomb that just came out. So. You are, let's say, the go-to place for me if there's something, right, really good quality. I and you're you're slowly achieving that. So yeah, you know, you know, well done. I think you're doing exactly what you're what you you set yourself to do. On the on the other side, uh, how many times does a game do not see the light of day? Well, more often than you think. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, I would say like maybe one third of the time. So there, there are um, there are many projects that get started, and over the course of, of time and development, the the original engineers just uh, get too frustrated and and or get distracted, uh, don't find the time. Um, I mean. We are all doing this as a hobby, uh, next to our regular jobs, right? And um, it happens quite often that that projects don't don't get finished. Um, we try to be very careful with announcements uh, because of this. Um, sometimes um, things go out, like you know, maybe you have heard about eight-bit civilizations. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. So this is kind of stalled right now, but maybe it's coming back. We 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 don't give up. But um, there are a couple of of things that 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 never get to the finish line. Um, for example, many years ago, there was a, an idea of having a kind of four-player Wizard of War, uh, four-player or even eight-player. Um, it was called War Wizards. Yeah, but in the end, we kind of, it was almost finished, but then we kind of found out it's not really fun to play. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we, we didn't finish that, that one. So it, it, it happens quite oft, often. So like, like you know, 30% um, of, of games never reach the finish line. Um but those which which do often take yeah longer also than anticipated. That's that's what what I just was talking about, right? So nowadays we we just can keep people motivated because we just support them and we are just more professional. You know, we over the years we have 
manage things in our lives and in our jobs so we know how to get things done. This is a big difference to, to the old ProDivision that I left in 2004. Then we were all youngsters and just trying to, to get our lives under control, right? Mm, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and nowadays, um, yeah, we are much better in, in getting things over the finish line. I don't know if, if you guys have other questions, just just ask them. Otherwise, I will go on, on my incredibly long list. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how does the, how I was, um, it's a very broad question. Can you explain how the process of publishing a game works? This entails a lot of things, but um, so you get in touch with a developer, then he or, or you say, can we publish a game? And they say, oh, can you publish my game? How do you take it from there? So nowadays we, uh, we use Discord and we invite uh, usually uh, developers uh, to join uh, our Discord server. And uh, there is a channel then for, for the particular game where uh, new screenshots are being posted and, and uh, new previews are sometimes being posted as well. And uh, it, it basically is like, okay, the game is not finished when we hear about it first, but it's, you know, semi-finished and we are looking at it and uh, exchanging ideas and saying, okay, we need maybe uh, support for a cartridge or um, nowadays we are discussing, is there a potential to support protopad and so on. Um, and yeah, I mean, what exactly are you, are you looking for? I mean, it's a normal exchange between the developer and some some other people, mainly JDR. Uh, JDR is driving ProDivision nowadays, but uh, at some point in time, yeah, when the game gets closer to the finish line, then some playtesters are, of course, nominated. Um, so you, you do the, you support the developers in that way. So you you ask them, for example, to put some changes in, you do what you said before. So if there's something that you feel that doesn't make the game great or holds the game back, you ask them to implement those changes. And then that can go two ways, either they do it or they don't do it. If they do it, then you go on with the process, I'm guessing. And then another question that comes up from this is, are there any legal steps in this process of publishing a game for these indie developers? Yeah, fortunately, I'm not involved in the legal aspects. It's all about, uh, it's all uh, uh, JDR is handling that. Um, I guess there is a kind of contract, right? So that we are allowed to to actually publish it. You just you just have to do it. Um, but we keep it keep it to a minimum. Um, we but of course we agree on all the aspects of. I, I mean. Um, who owns the rights to redistribute it? And usually it's very liberal. So we don't own anything the, the authors can do with it, what, whatever they want. For example, uh, Sarah Jane Ivory, uh, she, she still owns uh, her games like Soulforce, so she can sell them as well if, if she wants and she does it. Um, but generally, back back to your main main question about the, the process. So so let's go a bit back. Yeah. So earlier, earlier uh, uh, in, the, in the earlier stages, Often the, 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 the programmer approaches us and says, okay, I have this, this, this game, but it's not finished. So it's missing a few levels, like Kostump was a great example. I mean, it has lots of levels and the programmer alone was not able to design all those levels. So we had people, lots of different people <laughs> design levels for this game, right? Yeah. And then there's, it's often like music, music is missing um, or graphics are missing. Like some people have, have made their own graphics, in-game graphics, like, mm -hmm. you know, multicolor character set graphics, but uh, no title picture, no loading screens, nothing, right? Because they, they say, okay, I cannot really draw, you know, the multicolor bitmap graphics mode or even other, other more advanced modes. Um, I can't do it, um, but we, we can, we have people, right? So we, we, we put 
our talent together and and in the end one single person usually it's one single person who cannot do everything alone comes to us and we together then make it a whole thing like including a title picture including you know loading routines many people are really you know um anxious or even let's say afraid of touching the topic of a loading routine interacting with the disk drive it's a science on on its own right so um we we help with that as well uh, music um composing music music that doesn't eat too much roster time and so on um all these kind of things uh often happen as part of the process uh, so it becomes a kind of uh, a, a team effort um, to get to get the game to a state where it's really not not just you know um a one man show obviously uh, you are the first uh, publishers we talk to and i don't know if every publishers like you but it seems that it's very nice that you support uh, the developers in this extensive way i think it's um it really gives uh, like a, a family sort of vibe if that makes sense yeah. which is really lovely so you've contributed you've helped if the help needs be and the game has reached a final state and then what happens how long does it take for this game to get on a physical release or on a digital release um, in terms of time let's say yeah longer than 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 the truth <laughs> <laughs> yeah so never underestimate you know how much work it is to create the manual so usually there's a printed manual right and yep. even if it's just a digital manual it has to be created and layouted and so on and mm -hmm. that brings us back to the topic of accessibility so of course we try to make the game intuitive so that people can just play it and we see it in for example sam's journey i mean there is this manual that explains what each uh, of the of the costumes that you can pick up during the game does mm. but people just don't read this manual they just <laughs> you know they pick up things and they hey now no, i'm a ninja what can i do now what can i do now <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the manual right yeah but, um but people, uh, there are other people who do read the manuals, fortunately, sooner or later. And um, the manuals are just part of the experience. You have to have this great feeling of, you know, you open the box and then there's, like in the old days when the top titles, like Zack McCracken, right? You, you open the box of Zack McCracken, there was a manual, there was this newspaper and, and so on, right? And we tried to create this, this kind experience. of experience mm -hmm. for, for our titles. And this means, you know, the manual has to be excellent. There has to be a, um, uh, some graphics in the manual, but also on the box there has to be a great image on the box. And that's something that, that I mean, years ago there there was nothing like a box. You just got the disc and the manual in an envelope, but not a box. But nowadays you have, you, you have box art. So we have people who specialize in box art. But to create a really great box art is is also quite a challenge. And this happens usually late in the process when i mean it could start earlier but often we don't start this process of creating manual and box art early because we don't know if the game will ever be finished so we don't <laughs> want to waste our cycles yeah yeah so as soon as we find out oh, it's it's going to be finished then we we start creating the box art the manual um yeah and and uh, yeah then in parallel a lot of play testing happens um Different C64s, C128s, um, different disk drives and uh, cartridges and uh, and so on. Um, this this all happens. Um, and uh, yeah. Then one last uh, important aspect is the little extra items that are in the box. 
for example, with Sam's journey, there was this little chest with diamonds. Um, how do you, where do you get such a chest? Where do you get such diamonds? Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. It's JTR who finds these things out, right? Um, uh, some some pieces we are doing with a 3D printer. Uh, for example, right. I think in um, it's Magic Two. Um, I think it's out of stock right now because. Uh, the guy with the 3D printer um, still has to print some of the little cat, Tomcat figures that go in the box, right? <laughs> so awesome. it has to, de- de- has to be determined what kind of stuff goes in the box and where to get it, who creates it, or where to purchase it, and so on. I, I love, I love all this. So this, it's it's really like a like love for the Commodore 64 spread around and everyone's doing his little part. I just, just amazing. I really love it. Um, I was just wondering, is there one recent successful game that you released that you can discuss how very quickly, how it worked from start to finish? Well, maybe, maybe we take uh, outrage because that's a typical, uh, um, yeah. um, Odyssey almost, I would say, but it's uh, a representative um, for, for other titles. So outrage when we when we had the, identified the original author and he was able to give us uh, what he did, um, yeah, it was basically not finished. Mm. So there were yeah, yeah. bugs, there were uh, missing um, end monsters, uh, there was sometimes missing music, um, there was no loading system. The, the original author's intention was to to do all this when the contract with the publisher was finally signed. So the, the publisher, the original publisher, just got a, got a preview. So yeah. this, is, this is something that we, we meet quite often where there is an author that has almost done a game, but there are lots of bits and pieces missing. It looks like, like 95% finished, but in reality, the last 5% take like 50% of the time uh, mm. to, to, to get it done. Mm, yes. So, um, so in, in, in that case, it, yeah, it's quite typical for other games as well. I mean, the original authors are still around, but they, they, they cannot do everything or do not want to, want to do everything uh, that's required to finish the game. So what we do in ProDivision is now we look um, on our, our list of members, we ask around, okay, who can take over the missing music? Who can um, debug this, this code? Because the original author just, just cannot do it, uh, just doesn't find this problem. Um, because I mean, you have to be, you have to be aware that all the programmers that, that work on the ProDivision games, they are not, you know, not all of them are like Manfred Trenz or, or, or other, other geniuses of the C64 scene. Mm, yes. Um, they are normal, ordinary people. And sometimes, you know, they, they have written code and there are some little bugs in, in, in there that they just don't find because they don't occur very often. Or there are some glitches because the routine is not optimized, and they just cannot do any better because, you know, they are on a, on a, on a level of, of from you know, um, a a plus plus grade. They are not a plus plus grade. They are maybe a B grade. You know, normal average person. Um, but the 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 audience wants you know a plus plus titles. So we put all our knowledge together. Uh, to you know, get the stuff optimized, get the bugs out, get the missing music in, um, and get the flow right. Uh, maybe sh- you know, make a level a bit longer or a bit shorter. Um, that that that's what that's what we do. Uh, um, and and of course, the original author is always involved. Uh, gets uh, gets our suggestions and sometimes input from the other team member or members, and and has to approve it because it's still 
it's still their game, right? Um, and and we don't want to destroy the original vision um, of of the author, which is even more important when you don't earn money with the game. It's it's more important that it's your your baby that, that kind of gets out there in the world, and and that that goes back and forth, and that can take you know months, sometimes you know even more than a year. Muddy Racers, yeah. for instance, it was. It was very, very uh, long process back and forth um, with, you know, the car is, you know, try, uh, uh, skidding around a, a corner and, and uh, it didn't feel right for some of the testers. And the author thought it, 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 it's okay like this. And, and in the end, we found out, okay, um, it was um, implemented uh, in a certain way that it was not easily changeable. So we basically thought of, okay, the car loses control and it kind of feels off. What can we do without rewriting the whole engine? And then someone had the idea, okay, if the car is out of control, we, we, we trigger a timer. And when the player doesn't get the car under control after three seconds, it will get under control automatically again. <laughs> so the right. game gets more accessible, more playable, and so on. So this is part of, part of the process um, until, until the game actually gets finished and when it's close to the finish line then the, all the stuff uh, starts that I just talked about like manual design uh, uh, box art and so on lots of things I've never actually imagined involved in all this though. Uh, I saw you also had like the, the four player dongle or something the four player adapter is that also an invention of uh, ProtoVision or is that sort of open source thing you're selling yeah, the, the four-player interface was invented by ProtoVision, uh, namely by Chester. Uh, Chester Kolschen, who later wrote Sam's Journey. He's also a returner, right? He wrote Bombenia and Ice Guys, uh, I think also in 1996, 1997. He invented the four-player interface, then left the C64 to do other projects. He was also active on the mobile phones, Barton uh, games there, then came back to write uh, Sam's Journey. So, so yes, he invented the four-player interface, and uh, that is has always been out uh, in the public. So uh, it's always known how to build it. Mm. Everyone can build it on on their own. It's, it has always been documented how to program it, and we were like, hey, we publish everything. So, um, Bombania will not be the only game to support four players. Um, we were expecting other people to pick this up, um, but it didn't happen. So, Protovision then also published Hockey Mania. And Team Patrol, um, also supporting the four-player interface, and um, still um, the community didn't, you know, come up with their own games until, you know, a decade later or so, where Doctor Buru Industries came up with Shotgun and Frogs and all these great games, right? <laughs> so, so also, you know, finally the original intention comes true, the the original dream and vision comes true. That's what what I enjoy so much about this. Uh, Commodore 64 nice. community today. Because I see you, you ProtoVision sells a lot of hardware. Uh, so that's also a part you do, or is it just like reselling stuff which is already available, or is it something ProtoVision makes? And Yeah, so originally, of course, it started as something that, um, yeah, <laughs> we just thought that, hey, um, there are people building this great hardware. For example, let's let's take uh, out one the 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 Micromist, the mouse, the mouse interface. Um, 
the Commodore mouse, uh, like the 1351 or how it's called, you know, this great mouse, analog mouse. I mean, no one uh, is manufacturing uh, those mice anymore, mm. right? So there was this guy who was building those little interfaces where you could uh, connect the PS2 standard PC mouse to the C64. But um, I mean, he didn't have any mechanisms or, or tools available to, to distribute it. Um, but but ProtoVision had hmm, so yeah. so we say okay uh, you build the hardware we we uh, we uh, bring it to the to the market basically and um, and that's and that's what that's what it all started but of course I mean the four player interface maybe that that is what people saw and inspired them hey you are also selling hardware right so <laughs> and and um, Bomenia was only available uh, as a four player game there's no um, computer mode, there's no uh, computer uh, player mm. in, in Bombania, so you had to have uh, the four-player interface if you wanted to play it with more than, than two people. So yeah, ProVision sells hardware, so people came and say, yeah, if, if you're selling hardware, why not this, why not that? Um, sometimes we thought about, um, yeah, uh, people are looking for hardware anyway, um, and uh, maybe when they buy a certain cable or something, um, at the same time, they see that we have this and that game. Maybe um, it helps increasing the sales of the games. That that didn't really work out, you know. People instead just bought, you know, the hardware they wanted. Um, but uh, in the meantime, um, yeah, it is completely, uh, yeah, it developed life on its own. Um, Whenever we find some hardware that's interesting and we think it's useful for the community and it's available and uh, the original makers don't have, have the infrastructure to, to bring it to, to, to market because they don't have a web shop and so on, uh, we, we do it. Nice. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, nowadays it's very difficult because um, we cannot manufacture our own hardware mm. because to, to manufacture hardware today, you have to show the authorities that you know you are not um, harming the environment and you are following certain standards and it's recyclable mm -hmm. and so on and so on. It's mm. it's it's crazy. Sounds so, complicated. Um, yeah, so um, that's that's why uh, that's why we usually work together with. Uh, with someone else who, who does this uh, for for ProtoVision. You, you were talking about bringing their games to the masses, all the hardware to the people, and distributing these. How do you do marketing for for these products as well? Because yeah, I don't know. I just I just thought I'd ask if you do marketing, what kind of uh, strategies or stuff that you or mechanisms do, do you use to to advertise or to? Yeah, of course, of course, there's zero budget for any kind of marketing. <laughs> okay, uh, makes so, sense. So, yeah. So, and unfortunately, um, we also don't have um, someone who is, for example, running a YouTube channel or something. Um, mm. Maybe that's a gap that we, we have to fill at some point in the future. Um, but currently, we, we don't see the need because people who are running YouTube channels are talking about ProtoVision. So basically we rely on the community to talk about uh, the, the stuff ProtoVision is doing. Um, we, we just don't have additional capacity to, you know, um, invest in marketing, like, you know, create videos and so on. We, we post on Twitter and Facebook and we have on the German forum 64 uh, discussion forum, we have an own uh, category where people can ask questions, where we make announcements. And um, that's that's it. Um, 
maybe it will change in future that that we we have maybe more on our YouTube channel. But if you have looked uh, at it today, you see there's there's almost nothing, because uh, again, it's underestimated um, by people who don't do it. Uh, how much work it is um, <laughs> to create a good YouTube video, for instance, uh, yeah, just a few work. seconds. It's 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 insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we are experimenting with it as well, <laughs> but yeah, mm, it's uh, it's hard work. It's hard work. Yeah. Also, the podcast is hard work. <laughs> just saying. yes, for sure. Um, I was just wondering as well. You've um, you published lots of games uh, to today, and has any particular bonds formed with any developers, like partnerships, like irregular partnerships, where the developer is, you know, sort of rely. They just become sort yes. of not let's say part of Protovision, but they rely on you. You are their their now person or you know the company to go to. Well, yeah, the, the, the prime example, of course, is, uh, is Sam's Journey, uh, which is uh, created by the same team that created Bomb Mania in 1997. Mm, so yeah. um, that, that, that's, that's basically uh, uh, what, what, what happened there. Um, but there are also some other, other games. The Courage, for example, Courage did uh, Tanks 3000. I don't know if you are aware of, of that title. It's also a four-player title, also created many moons ago. Mm, um, and um, Courage returned to ProDivision. And, and of course, uh, um, you know, he is behind uh, the artillery uh, duel uh, version for the, for the Wi-Fi module. You mm. know, there's this Wi-Fi module for the C64, yes, the WIC64, yes. and you can play artillery duel over internet with another player that's awesome. um, with your c64 you just connect this wi-fi module to your c64 and uh it it uh, i mean it was designed by different people but but coverage said hey why not you know uh, adjust uh, uh this game artillery duel which is a big classic from 1983 right and and he kind of is is you know um really part of the protovision family um Others are more like, okay, they, they do one game project um, and then they are totally exhausted <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it takes them many years before they do the, the next ones. Um, um, so, yeah, sometimes it's just um, like, you know, for example, it's Magic it, and it's Magic 2. Uh, those games are, were, were written by a, a guy called Andre and um, he planned a, a third title, a shoot him up, but, but then he gave up on it, unfortunately. But he kind of also was was basically relying on protovision uh, because it went went so well. Um, yeah, but sometimes it's it's like okay, like with Sarah Jane Ivory, for example, some some games uh, go through protovision, others uh, don't. Um, and sometimes mm -hmm. we also do a cooperation with Psytronic. Um, oh yeah, they, they they do uh, they do the, the disc version, we do the cartridge version because they can't do cartridges or don't want to do the huge cartridges which are bigger than you know those sixty k cartridges they are doing. So um, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's a different different relationships with with the different uh, contributors. Uh, everyone, yeah, like I said in the beginning, I think uh, it's very different based on on the individual. Um, yeah. Like Planet, Planet X 2.1, for instance. Uh, mm. I mean, that was created by the famous YouTuber, the 8-bit guy. Mm -hmm. um, that's a completely different relationship. Basically, we like this game um, and we thought, okay, we can improve it by, you know, improving the character set and so on and so on. And he was like, yeah, okay, you can do it. No problem. And we, we, make, we made a very short agreement. But he isn't, you know, part of, of, of our daily or, or weekly discussions in Discord at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does his own thing with his YouTube channel. Mm. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, but so it's very varied. It's it's nice though that there are people that have created a, like a a very fundamental bond with you guys. I think it gives, still re- reinforces that sense of family sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, I need to. I'm a bit conscious about time, so I'm just gonna. I've I've cut some questions out because you've kind of answered them throughout um, the other questions, really. Uh, but um, what there's a couple of things. I put two questions in one here. Copyright infringements. Do you <laughs> do you handle those, um, and how how does does that work for you? Yeah, of course, they are sometimes still a bit of a problem. But uh, again, Provision is not not a real company in that sense that we do have a legal department that files uh, uh, claims against uh, uh, violations of copyright or so. Um, fortunately, nowadays, um, we are on good terms with uh, websites like CSDB, uh, oh, who, yes. puts, who puts on uh, uh, pirated copies of, of everything, right? But uh, mm-hmm. not of uh, ProDivision titles, at least the new ones. Um but still, of course, we cannot prevent it, um, and we are not, you know, we are not actively trying. Uh, for example, you know, we don't put very uh, crazy copy protections uh, in the games like they did in the in the eighties. Uh, yeah, you remember those those uh, pieces of paper in red color with <laughs> yes, light yes, red yes. light red text, and it was impossible to photocopy them. And so we don't do that. Right. No, uh, yeah. We we uh, we uh, we acknowledge that if someone wants to pirate uh, our games, uh, they they will, they can. Um, but fortunately, and that's another reason why I returned. Fortunately, the community has totally evolved and, and matured. Um, that they understand that if they want um, to support Protovision and appreciate show appreciation then they, they have just have to buy the original. And nowadays, I mean, we're not pupils or students anymore. <laughs> yeah. We can actually, we can afford uh, every now and then to buy such a game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah we If know, you buy them yeah. digitally, then they're not crazy expensive at all. I've seen exactly. like Muddy Racers is six euros, I think, which is peanuts. It's like two coffees. <laughs> so. Or one coffee only if you go to Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's not coffee, but uh, <laughs> that's another yeah, discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, and what about preservation? So we have trouble preserving games nowadays. Some of them are lost to time. We use the source code and that sort of stuff. Does ProtoVision actively do, do something to preserve games for the future? Well, we don't think about that too much. <laughs> I mean, um, we, of course, keep... Uh, a couple of, of originals uh, all the time. Um, but in the end, I mean, yeah, we do have backups of our games and so on and so on. Um, but we don't think that far that, okay, what happens if one day everyone suddenly is no longer there? Uh, what happens to the games? Uh, we, it's like, you know, it's like every every everyone is going on living their life and never thinking about, you know, is there a point where suddenly those games are no longer available? Um, they are available, right? And I think it's, um, um, yeah, they, they are at least un, un, yeah, indestructible from a digital point of view, I, I would say. Um, from the packaging point of view, I actually have to ask Gretia if he, you know, keeps at least one copy of each game and... Um, puts it into a special cabinet, you know, maybe um, 
no sunlight and um, <laughs> and uh, mm. um, um, always the right air temperature and humidity. <laughs> like yeah, that's that's yeah. of course the, the, the final product, but what about the source code? That that's easily that easily gets yeah. lost probably. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to ask Gretia about it. That'd be um, interesting as well to know if you use version control, git or stuff like that. And then yeah, so yeah. so um that's up to the individual developers uh, as far as I understand. Um mm. There, there is no uh, obligation for the, de the developers to give the source code of their stuff to, to us. Mm. We, in the end, want the, the master, uh, the master disk or master cartridge. Um, and um, we, I don't think we get the source code for everything. Um, maybe we should. I, I will discuss it internally. <laughs> All right. And finally, I have one question, two questions that I will squash into one again, again, just to... Uh, time for time purposes so how do you determine the price structure for the games you publish and also how do you handle the distribution and release logistics it must be quite difficult it's extremely time consuming um so um yeah jtr who is who's the head of provision these days he recently moved into a new house and um there are uh, there are several rooms dedicated to provision only and one is a storage room <laughs> and and up uh, uh, yeah um From time to time, there are photos on, on Facebook, for instance, of the storage room, and you will see stacks, huge amounts of piles of, of, of packages and, and, you know, empty cartridges uh, to, be, to be flashed and so on. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a huge amount of work um, to handle uh, these logistics. And sometimes it means that the yeah, orders cannot be fulfilled. Um, and that's why, yeah, we, 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 nowadays we have in the shop an indication how long it could take. And sometimes it says it could take up to six weeks. Mm, um, yeah. In the beginning, it was really, really a problem because people thought that ProtoVision is a real company and that they are the real customer ordering something like they order from Amazon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I thought so too, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, I mean, and it, it, nowadays people understand that it just can't be because the community is far too small for a real company with, you know, with a real logistics infrastructure to, to be behind this. So in reality, it's just one guy at, in his personal home uh, who has actually dedicated a room and has dedicated a lot, oh lots God. of the, uh, his, his free uh, time, you know, packaging uh, those things up and actually, you know, um, when Seb's journey was first released, um, there are still some pictures floating around of, you know, this little VW uh, Lupo that, that he owned. And it was packed up, up to the roof with, with uh, envelopes, um, orders of Sam's journey. And he basically just drives to the local post office and and gives each package individually to the guy behind <laughs> oh the counter goodness me. and and and, yeah. and they print this uh, receipts out and so on <laughs> for uh, each package and, my god yeah yeah and it takes it takes sometimes it takes it takes hours i mean um The post office guy really loves ProtoVision because you know they come <laughs> come come with lots of packages. But you know we don't have any you know we don't have contracts with FedEx or UPS or something. Uh, that that's not just enough. The the number of stuff we we are shipping is not just high enough for that. So uh, and also all the you know invoicing and so on and and the web shop the the, the interface and and so on is all custom made um, lots of stuff by by protovision members uh, to to have a semi automation 
um, but still there's a lot of, of things that, that need to be done manually. Uh, it's improving or has improved over the years uh, to, to, to reduce a bit the, the burden that it creates uh, for us. But uh, yeah, yeah, back then when I left ProDivision, it was, was such a huge amount of work that, as I said, I, don't, I, I thought it's not worth it. Nowadays, it's, it's optimized enough, so, so it's, it's possible to handle it, let's say. But it's, uh, don't underestimate it. It's, it's, it's a big amount of work. Yeah. Uh, so if you want a ProDivision title and then another ProDivision title, consider ordering them together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Uh, I thought, um, I think um, I did ask as well, how do you determine the price for a, pro for a game if you want to discuss it? Yeah, it's, it's basically a gut feeling, I would say. Uh, so, I see. I mean, we know, of course, how great a game is, right? So uh, Sam's Journey, it was clear that, that this, this is going to be a, a huge game. So over the years, JTR and, and, and myself and some others, we developed a kind of feeling what is a possible or applicable price point for, for a title, right? And yeah. then we, we, of course, we agree with, with the author uh, if, if this, this price point is okay with them. Sometimes they have other imaginations or, or other uh, thoughts that they want to have higher price or lower price. Um, and that's also okay. I mean, we can try a higher price and if then no one buys the game, yeah, we have to lower the price, right? Sometimes we, we, uh, we do a lower price um, because we think, okay, this game is um, not, you know, as much worse as the price uh, would would suggest. We are very careful with that, right? So when a, mm. when a game comes out and it's really like 50 euros, um, people expect it's a great game. So we, we really try to avoid uh, setting a, a very high expectation with a high price. So you know when the price is high, the game is great. But when the price is low, you know the game is probably quite good but it's not like uh, Sam's journey or something like that. So, so we kind of try to match quality and price. Sometimes, sometimes maybe we don't succeed, but I think in most <laughs> cases, in the most cases we do succeed. Yeah, I can testify that that's, that is the case. Right, so I think now it's time to talk about your games that we played. Um, we'll go through them quickly and then we'll ask you some anecdotes around those games, if that's all right. I don't know who wants to start. I mean, Guido or Diego, you can... Yeah, yeah, go Diego. You can go. Yeah, I still have one final question before we continue. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so I just wanted to ask, uh, since you are clearly a huge fan yourself of the Commodore sixty four and a, should I say a veteran of of its vast game uh, history, but I just wanted to ask if do you feel there is some specific type of game that still hasn't been represented enough on the Commodore 64 and that you would like to see more? That's, um, yeah, it's a bit of a delicate question because, of course, nowadays, all the games that are released on the Commodore 64 are made with a certain mindset. And the mindset is, this is a limited platform it's a platform that has, you know, bitmap graphics and sprites and sit and so on. So the games are made with that in mind. So what is missing today are games like Elite, right? Space Rogue, um, 
those games are just no longer being made, right? Vector graphics, 3D games. I mean, think of, of Ace or Ace 2. Um, no one no one makes those games anymore. Even even racing games like, you know, Outrun or Power Drift. Um, mm. No one makes those games anymore because um, the, the platform is not ideal for that type of game. Okay, I accept that. <laughs> but those games were made back in the day because there was nothing else, no other platform to do them, right? So um, I would like to see, you know, uh, uh, an outrun like a racer maybe. Um, um, and maybe, you know, a, a, a kind of a space rogue or elite kind of, you know, a mix between pirates, elite, uh, space rogue kind of game. Um, that, But I mean, on the other hand, I understand that such project cannot be done because it's too huge i mean elite yeah. uh, i mean it was a child of its time i don't know if it's possible again to do all right but uh, great choice anyway what is your favorite game on the commodore 64 yeah that's a quite simple question it's last ninja 2 okay um fantastic game fantastic music by my favorite musician matt gray um, yeah, please visit uh, his website. I think it's called 6581records.com. His remixes are, are awesome. Um, mm. Yeah, Last Ninja 2 is great. Of course, uh, Tarikan is, is also great. Um, Sam's Journey, <laughs> one of the greatest newer titles. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but once I try to make my personal top 100, and it's, it's quite difficult. I mean, Pirates. Pirates is also such a game that I really love. Um, and, and also Last Ninja, Ninja 3. Last Ninja 3 is another title. The whole Last Ninja series is a, is a series of games that only works on the Commodore 64. There are conversions, but they just don't work on other platforms. This atmosphere is yeah, no, so unique. Yeah, yeah. 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 It is very uh, typical of the Commodore 64. I just thought about what you were saying, and um, a website came to mind because you said remix. And there is a brilliant remix site. I'm sure you know it. It's called remix.kwed.org. Yes. And they have some amazing remixes. Um, I recall one of the best ones I've heard, the jazzy R-Type from Aruna Bertil. Amazing. There's some yeah. really, really, really skilled people doing these remixes. Really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's another thing why I do love the Condor 64 so much. The, the music on this platform is really inspiring to me. Uh, I listen um, also uh, outside the, the C64. I love to listen to instrumental music without, you know, every, anyone singing to it mm, yeah. because it's so relaxing and you can really imagine yourself what, what, what kind of mood you are in. And uh, I, yeah, I love those, those remixes. Really cool. Let's talk about the games yeah. then from ProtoVision. Um, so, who wants to start? Do we do I can start. Oh, yeah, start. <laughs> start well, since we, we've been already talking <laughs> about Sam's journey, so that's the game I, I picked. I wanted to talk about it because, for me, it's uh, ha it has become kind of a new classic, I would say. And uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. This is uh, a game by Chester Colshan and Stefan Gooch. All right. If that's the right pronunciation of them. Otherwise, I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's been already out for a few years, 2017, if I remember right. Yes. And uh, I would say, well, this is essentially a platformer game. 
that I would describe it as a sort of Commander Keen meets Wonder Boy, at least. Uh, that That's the feeling that it gave me the first time I saw it. And uh, it's a simple story of this kid Sam that ends up in a fantasy world and has to find his way back home. But because he's in a journey through a fantasy world, there's not just fantasy dangers ahead, but he also has fantasy opportunities. And that's the main appeal of the gameplay of Sam's journey, that along the way, besides the fairly obvious things that you do in a platformer, like jumping around platforms, climbing ladders, and throwing some rocks at monsters, then the main novelty is that you can find costumes which enhance Sam's capabilities in various ways. And that's the key selling point of the whole game for me. <laughs> well, it's just uh, the biggest part of the fun, that depending on what kind of costumes you find and pick up, you can turn into Pirate Sam, for example. That's perhaps the simplest option you have. Correct. So where you have um, a sword, or cutlass, I think it's called in the manual, yes. mm -hmm. that can help you hit monsters directly. Otherwise, you would have to throw objects at them to hit them. But you can also turn into a ninja that can attach to walls and bounce off one from one wall to the other. Then there is a baseball Sam, or pitcher Sam, perhaps, yes. that is the best at throwing rocks. Mm -hmm. And he even gets... Uh, a target symbol or a crosshair that moves around so you can shoot much farther away and with more precision. Right. Then there's a uh, space Sam that can double jump using his jetpack. There's disco Sam that has a <laughs> special move so that you can hover while after jumping. So space Sam can kind of jump higher, but disco Sam can jump longer because of this effect. And last, there is Vampire Sam that can turn into a bat and fly for a little bit, at least. I think right. that overall, uh, these, these options really change the gameplay. Not completely, but just enough so that you really get a different feeling. And to say the whole story, I think that um, the main purpose of the game is pretty much just to go forward in level, finding the exit door and continue. But uh, the secondary purpose is try and go for the 100% score because there's lots of things you can collect. There's uh, diamonds and coins and trophies. Right. And if you get them all from each level, well, then you, you score 100%. But that's kind of difficult. Well, I wouldn't say that the game is easy overall. Um, it starts easy, but it gets complicated quite soon anyway. And to be honest, I'm still far from completing this game. I, I have, haven't managed yet to beat the first boss, to be honest. So that's uh, probably a third into the game. Right. But um, so it's um, perhaps finishing the game is one thing, but uh, trying to go for the full score is another thing. And for that, 
you really need to explore every corner of the levels and also get the right costumes at the right time because I really think many of those collectibles can only be reached with the proper costume using the right ability of that character at the right time. Otherwise, that's just not possible. Correct. So, uh, well, what do I think of this game? I think it's pretty obvious it's been uh, said already many times and I, I found everywhere only absolute top positive opinions about this game. It's uh, like the pinnacle of the development that you can get on the Commodore 64. But most importantly, I think it's just sheer fun to play to play and replay because I, I know that personally I always have the urge to go forward in levels, but um, I, even after one day I managed to see the ending, I probably want to go back and then discover all the things I missed uh, to, to get that <laughs> best 100% perfect score at every all level. Right. And I also want to mention the, the music, by the way, because I'm... That's always one part of the game that uh, I'm particularly fond of. And there is quite a lot of different tunes in this game. And they all sound very, very classic Commodore music to me. Right. So you you kind of get both the, the feeling that the game is definitely new. It's not a game of the 80s. It's uh, something that probably if it... If it had been published at that time, it would have been a massive hit and a jaw-dropping, probably, as it is today. But at the same time, the music also gave me the the old nostalgic feeling. That's also something that it's important for people at our age. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and um, the music was done by uh, Taksim uh, Alexander Ney. And um, Sam's journey overall is actually the result of the combined experience of all the three. So Chester, Stefan, and Alex. Um, it wouldn't be here if, if not for all the other projects that the three did before Sam. So there were many, many things done before. For example, on the C64, Chester in the 90s had the dream of creating a successor to Turrican 1 and 2, um, which he started. Wow. And um, of course, to, to, to beat or to be at least as good as Turrican 1 and 2, he learned a lot about optimizing scrolling routines and so on and so on. Later, this project was canceled and um, was... Uh, um, done by a different person. Uh, there was a Turrican 3 release um, by, but, but by a completely different person. So the, the, the Turrican 3 project from Chester was, was never uh, finished. However, all the experience gained is in Sam's journey. Okay. Uh, the same goes for the graphics. Um, Stefan did the graphics, but it was not his first project. He did the graphics also for Metal Dust before, right? And if you look at the graphics for Metal Dust... Very impressive. I, I think it's really good. 
Yeah, but especially in the level one, metal dust is not so impressive. It's mm. later, yeah, it gets impressive. But the last level of metal dust is the, the best you could do back then. And Sam's journey is many years later with all the experience that, that he had. And Taksim, uh, Alex, he is a, a yeah, more or less professional musician. Uh, he did so many uh, things. He, he composed his own tunes. He made some remixes. Actually, he was one of the very first people to do Sid remixes. Um, they, he published mm. them on tape. Um, nice. You could copy. You could copy them if you gave him <laughs> an empty music cassette. He would copy uh, uh, you his remixes. So um, he also um, is a veteran of the C64 and uh, um, has done so many good good pieces of music. And thanks to to this, they were able to to create this game. So that was the abilities but then of course there are there are there are lots of other games out there that inspired sam's journey right so so the, you said that there are there are lots of positive voices out there about sam's journey which is true if you were trying to find some negative feedback about sam's journey the only one you would find is hey this is not original the ideas of the game are not original. This is from Super Mario 3, and this is from Kirby, and this is from, I don't know what, Mega Man or whatever. And it's true, because the authors combined everything they loved from their favorite titles from other platforms on the C64. And uh, this is also why it's such an amazing game. It, 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 it would have been impossible to create in the 80s, because all those um, other games that, that inspired Sam's Journey were not there. And all the experience of the coders and graphicians as musicians was not there. Great. And anyway, I I can't say I can't recommend this game enough to any C sixty four lover. Really, it's uh, as I said for me, it's a, like a, has become a new classic. It is graphically very impressive. Yeah. Do you know or did you know that the the German media picked up Sam's journey? So there's, um, there are a couple of German IT news websites, and one of them picked up Sam's journey. I think it was Golem. And they usually don't report about C64 stuff, or only very occasionally. And they picked it up, hmm. and they titled awesome. their, their article, A Reason to, to Buy a C64 Today. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then this article was picked up and reprinted under license by the German newspaper Die Zeit. Wow. So the Time, basically it's Time, the biggest the one. Time magazine. <laughs> so so um, it's it's a it's a it's a newspaper which is huge in, in Germany, mm. and and um, that that basically helped the success of the game because um, you you asked about marketing. There, there, we That's would the have best. never reached uh, all the, the 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 audience and and. Uh, that we are, we were, we are, we were very, very lucky to have uh, this kind of media coverage. That must have been a bus full of cartridges, then, not only a car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the game is being still sold today, so uh, you would expect that that everyone has this game already. But no, we still sell it. People yeah. Still buy it. It is very good. I still remember the first time I saw it. I thought oh, this is when that was probably the first time that I thought people need to know about this stuff because it's so great. That look what can, what it, what can be done nowadays. It's just uh, incredible. 
Right, I think we should move on now to Widow's game. We're going through them relatively quickly because, again, of time. But yeah, I think Widow played another game from Protovision. Yes, I played um, a more recent uh, game. It's called Muddy Racers. And it's released uh, late last year, I think. And it's made by Monte Boyd. If I say that correctly. <laughs> or Monte Boyd. Monte Boyd, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a single screen arcade racer, which is quite similar. And I used to play that game a lot on my Amiga to Super Off-Road, if you know that game. Um, so basically yep. it's a non-scrolling uh, racing game, top down. And uh, you drive around with uh, little cars around the screen, a little bit like uh, RC cars. But of course... The resolution of the C64 is a little bit smaller than uh, the Amiga, which makes the track design a little bit more limited, I think. Uh, but it, it's not, not a big problem. It's, it still has 18 tracks uh, divided in three championships, which have all championships have, have a different team. One is a muddy team, and one is a Arctic sort of team or snowy team, and one is a, in an in ancient Mayan runes or something. You can play this either against the computer or with your friends. It's four players if you want, and uh, yeah, it's it's a really fun game. You you can uh, like a super off road for example. You can uh, pick up um, uh, coins on the road, and every track uh, you can uh, spend your money on upgrades every. Uh, every time uh, you finish one uh, race and then uh, for example you can buy a better engine or better uh, uh, steering or even uh, turbos or oil slicks right yeah that's pretty much all there is but it's a pretty tough game i noticed especially the all the ai's are slightly different i think they all have their own character yes that's incredible yeah that's it's really interesting and i think every championship it's, it's the best idea to pick out a character uh, for yourself because the AI won't play that character. So I noticed one, one character wins one championship easier than the other. And if you pick that one, then it's a little bit easier for yourself because uh, some are more aggressive. I couldn't put my finger on it, what the, what the difference was, but I, you really noticed that they're all different. Which is really interesting. I don't know what's the story uh, yeah. behind that. For a Commodore 64, yeah. Yes, so this game, uh, Money Racers, is a real great example for how, it, how great it can get when the team works together. So originally, uh, the author had just the vision of, you know, a game where the cars would, you know, quickly slide around and, and that was it. Uh, it, to, it was supposed to be for for four players, um, but with input from from various other team members, um, some of them had, had had designed their their own games and and had, had uh, you know for example Chester was also a part of of, of that team. He um, he had even written games for for mobile phones um, for commercial oh, wow. uh, com yeah, commercial titles. So. He really uh, contributed like ideas how to to make the game more accessible, how to make it more fun, 
and uh, Monte Boyd was very, very happy to, to pick up those ideas. Hmm. Uh, for example, simple things like you cannot um, from the beginning um, access all the three scenarios, all the three things hmm. you have to unlock them. Which is really it's not hard. difficult to program. <laughs> it's really hard to do. <laughs> yeah, it's not, uh, but it's not uh, difficult to, to program such a mechanism, mm -hmm. right? What, what's, much more, um, what's much more challenging is those different AIs. So uh, basically, um, a, a little, I mean, from nowadays point of view, when everyone talks about AIs, it's even more amazing. <laughs> but even, even back then, the AI has no idea what's going on on the screen because it doesn't see the screen, mm. right? The Commodore 64 controls the other cars, but it doesn't have any eyes, doesn't see where the others are, doesn't know where, where the coins are and so on and so on. You have to tell everything to the AI in a kind of different language. And that makes it very challenging to, to actually even create an AI. And mm. then from there to create an AI that's not perfect, but that's also not too stupid. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I noticed that the AI even got stuck uh, somewhere sometimes and the game slowed down in, into a crawl because I think the AI was like, what do I need to do now? And he was like, I think he was taking over the whole uh, CPU or something to try to get yeah, his way exactly. out of there. <laughs> and when he, when he got exactly. unstuck, then suddenly the, the, the race uh, was going... Uh, a lot quicker again but actually that was uh, really beneficial for me because uh, it, it made it a little bit easier when everything was everything was a little bit slower so uh, maybe you can also tease the the ai a bit with uh, if you know how to get them stuck which is interesting because it, it's it's yeah. it's a really difficult game because you have to uh, get uh, points every stage and every time uh, for example, if you win, you get, for example, 50 points, I think, or, or maybe, yeah, something like that. And you have to uh, have the highest score in the end of the championship. But the later tracks have those jumps in there. And if you miss one jump, then it can go south really quick because you have to turn around and have to do the jump again. And then you lose a lot of time. And then almost every time you will lose... Uh, and and then you don't have the the points needed to win the championship and then you don't unlock the next championship so it took me a long time before i unlocked one championship uh, which is yeah uh, of course it, it adds to the long levity of the game which is and i had a lot of fun but i wonder how does that work with four players how do you unlock next championships because you control all the yeah players. that's a different mode then yeah, it's a it's a different mode if if you if you are in in, in multiple player mode and uh, what you have done now is essentially you prepared yourself for a, a tournament so because <laughs> you you played against the, the computer AIs um, you had to improve your skill right and of course the original idea is to um, to win uh, to win against other players uh, and to play with four players and the game switches to a different mode depending on on the amount of players. So if you have never played it in, in, in uh, with more than one player, I, I recommend it to you. Um, and you can, from there, you can access uh, the other scenarios uh, more easily if one of, ah. uh, of the, the human players wins, wins the game. But beware, I mean, the human players can be, depending on how long they practice in one player mode, can be very, very tough to Yeah, of course, then the oil <laughs> slicks will have yeah. 
more use probably when you uh, are playing it a multiplayer because you can really bug someone out <laughs> when when someone gets the oil slick he spins out of control and it's yeah and, and believe me this is was the hardest part of the game so to balance the difficulty level i know it's a bit on the on the tough side but at the same time if it was too easy and you you had you had finished it after three days it would also be a bit disappointing yeah, yeah. so um so now it's I think now it's it's well balanced and and with those different AI characters uh, I mean basically they are created by giving them preferences for the kind of items they use uh-huh. so some like to use a nitro boost and some like to use the oil slicks and so on um, and uh, that, that that also brings a variance into the game that, that, that originally wasn't there Although, uh, um, maybe maybe when when you visit one of those uh, retro gatherings. Um, uh, and I'm also there. Uh, maybe I can show you one of the early development drops of the mm. game. Mm. And it will look exactly the same, and there will be the same music, and it plays completely differently. It feels different game. like a wow, different nice. game. Yeah. Uh, and speaking about the music, it's that's one thing I I was just like uh, I was just like on the title screen and just waiting until the track uh, ended because I really wanted to hear everything because I really love the soundtrack. And I noticed every... Same for me. Every uh, championship <laughs> also has its own soundtrack and they were all good and, and really uh, I, re- I really loved them. And it's maybe even music I would listen outside of the game. Uh, yeah. And and again, that that's that's what makes Protovision so so special in in the in the world of the C64, because if this game was was done only by the original author alone, it would be an okay game, but maybe the gameplay would not be as good, and the music there would be no music or very simple music and so on. But by combining these talents that we have at our, at our fingertips, so we we are able to to make it make it such a great title nice yeah i, I really like that uh, and i think it's especially fun with, uh, with as a party game with a lot of people i, I would uh, i really want yes have you played it already on a on a big screen with a projector i think i think uh jago uh, has one. he should he should do it <laughs> yes definitely i did play sam's journey on on the projector but i must say i had some problem with it related with the uh, video signal so i didn't enjoy the colors in the right way mm. i think that that brown of the of the <laughs> c64 it's like for me in my eyes <laughs> c64 games are really brown but with the, the subject matter of muddy racers it's perfect it really fits the <laughs> <Yeah>. game <laughs> it's really yeah and, yeah, but look at Sam's journey. Uh, I mean, the brown there is is used in a completely yeah, different way, true. right? So, yeah, it's really colorful. I really yeah. like the neon color, vibrant. Yeah. 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 So when I when I saw Muddy Racers, I was um, quite stoked because I used to play. What was it called? It was, I think it's always super off road on my PC two eight six IBM two eight six at the time. So when I saw muddy races i thought my god even the commodore 64 can do that now they've found a way to make something i obviously i I don't know much about coding in that respect so i thought if it runs on a 286 a 286 is way more powerful than a commodore 64 how can a commodore 64 do that in my brain well well for this show i i searched footage of of super off-road on the amiga and you see that that's 
way more complicated than muddy racers but it still uh, has the same vibes and and and, and that's mm. that's about but you're bringing up a, a very good point here so when designing a game for the commodore 64 it's always also about how can you simplify the the whole thing mm. so it's so the hardware can actually handle it um you can you can of course you can do it upside down you can basically or, or bottom up or, or however you would like to to, to call it to, to to start from a very simplistic kind of gameplay and then enhance it until the hardware cannot do it anymore um but but sam's journey for instance um I mean, there, there were many more ideas for other different costumes, for instance, uh, and and uh, also the 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 size of the area that scrolls around and so on. All those things have to be determined, and, and decisions have have to be made. Um, how many objects can be on the screen at the same time? Right, for example, mm-hmm. you can have more objects on the screen um, with better coding techniques, but does it really improve gameplay? Maybe to a certain degree, but not any further you know if you further increase the amount of objects like you double the amount of objects does the game get twice as good no so don't waste your coding skills on that instead you know invest the cpu cycles and the brain cycles in mm-hmm. other things you know and and that that's that's very challenging on on platforms such as as a commodore 64 well, that's certainly well done on, on, on all these aspects. It seems that you've nailed it completely. Uh, all the games we played were really cool, which brings me to, very smoothly, to uh, the game I played. So I played the probably the most recent of them all, Cursed Tomb, which is um, like, a, a, I would say, a collect-em-all sort of game. We've played some of these already. So we've played uh, similar games like Inca Man on the Amiga and... Um, Probably more, more that I can't really figure out right now. Oh, well, there's all the Retro Souls ones as well, which are similar in respect. This one is, so I've, I've got the manual here, and it, it's a very nice manual. So I suppose very nice drawings in it and the layout and the font. It's, it's very, very nice to look at. I think the story to it is very simple. There's a forgotten tomb that is... Um, never been opened and uh, you know no one can come close to it it's, uh, as close as 6,000 feet and they say it's cursed nobody who has stepped foot inside has ever been heard from again so that tells you that you're entering a perilous realm so this is probably uh, the simplest of the games I'd say probably this they've come in descending order Sam's journey seems the most complicated one uh, and um, in second place probably by the racers and then we have the cursed tomb and what's different from the other puzzlers sort of puzzlers in this respect that we played collect them all in a level usually we've played in different platforms and on different from different developers and they all are in one screeners i think the big difference that the commodore 64 cursed tomb has is that the level is enormous and it can be very very big and uh, it pans let's say throughout um, the screen and you have to collect us a load of uh, emeralds. I don't know what they are really, but they're stars or and treasure. Treasure, yes. And you make you you collect points, and you then have to reach the end of the level and and escape or go further in. I don't really know. Right. Yeah. Go further in. Yes. So the difficulty of this game is that obviously the little man you're guiding through this tomb only moves one way so you press the the arrow left and he just goes left 
and it doesn't stop until there is um, an obstacle and then he stops there and then you can decide another direction and this makes for a really interesting gameplay and to be fair if you watch the stream or the YouTube video I've done it gets very addictive because you just want to do one more game <laughs> and why is that because you can complete the level in easy mode at least um, by not getting all the um, all the treasures but you can get a part of them I don't know exactly the percentage but then you can finish the game the same or you can finish it by getting every single treasure in the level and then you will get a perfect which is what we what I, I strive to do and I think the peculiarity that is um, on the Commodore 64 is that it, the level pans so basically you end up having some levels that are really tricky because maybe they're completely empty and there's only a couple of boxes uh, that are a couple of I call them boxes but they, you know they're bricks and they stop your wandering and you don't know if you're going to go for example top or bottom if there's anything that's going to stop you or in certain levels there are some lasers and you just don't know and you just end up in them and you and you just die so it makes for a very different experience I can say uh, the level of difficulty also in increases as you move on through the levels and new mechanics get introduced. You have, for example, I think the initial one, I think the first one is knives. So you've got a wall of knives and they all come out as soon as you've passed them with a delay, I don't know, half a second, they all start coming out. And then you can't go on that wall again until the knives have gone back in. A bit like the Prince of Persia spikes, if you want. You know, they come out from the from the bottom. These come out from the side. And then there are ghosts. There are, um, let me think, there are lasers. I've, I think I've reached level 12 or 13. And there's all sorts of things going on. I think it's a very interesting puzzle. And I, th I don't know how many levels they are, but I suppose there's loads. And I'm very curious to see what else there is added to the difficulty I think I've stopped myself on one of those where I don't know where to go or maybe not I don't remember I think I no, maybe I might finish that but one of the most trickiest one was one where it was all empty and then you have to go left to right and you don't know what's going to be on that side of the screen because it's not visible just to add the last thing you have a timer as well <laughs> which is counting down and you have to do the level in the certain time now I did try first easy and it was difficult. Then I tried hard and it was very difficult, but I got better. And what happened then is at a certain point, hard would not allow me to do the, the one where you can't see in time because I didn't know obviously what was in the level. I had to memorize it. So I went back to easy. And then when I went back to easy, I redid them all and I was just flying through them with loads of time left. So I did eventually get really much better and again you can see this on the youtube video i've done so i was going to ask you um the scrolling here is very very smooth as well for a commodore 64 in my opinion for what i know and it was i think it's a very ambitious project this uh, like as a whole because i think the level is much bigger than the screen and you have to keep track of where the person where, where you, this explorer is how does that work? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, thanks for noticing such a thing. That that that's great, because often you know people are just um, you know playing the game and enjoying the game, hopefully, mm. but not thinking about okay, how is this even possible? Mm. And and uh, yeah, but some some of those people like you, they notice things. Um, I mean, 
one of the first games where I noticed such such a challenge was Turrican, because in Turrican, at least in Turrican One, you you go somewhere and there are some enemies and you kill them or you don't kill them. It doesn't matter. You just go back and then you go in there again. The enemies are gone. <laughs> it doesn't keep track of it doesn't keep track of of whether you shot the enemies or not. It just assumes that you that you did shoot them, right? Um, yeah. And and yeah, that's actually uh, actually it's quite a challenge. So it means that the whole uh, the whole map uh, of the level um, cannot be in a certain compressed format in the memory, which is then built on demand uh, on screen. It has to be um, basically in real time uh, in the memory. So what you are seeing is is a representative um, of yeah. Uh, I know the, what you're trying to say. I know yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> it's, it's 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 like it's it's actually like a like a camera that only shows a, a part of the whole thing, and that's the whole idea of the game. That that was the original idea. Uh, I mean, I wasn't involved in the development, but from what I've 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 overheard in conversations is that this immersive feeling of being inside of such a such a tomb, right? It's mm-hmm. that you. You, you can never know what's there, what is around the corner. Um, in, in, often in C64 games, you, you move around and you do see what's, what's around the corner because it comes, comes in. It is on the screen. There's maybe a wall and you have to go around the wall, but, but still you see what is around the corner. And, yeah. and this game wanted to do it differently. It wanted to recreate this, this, um, this you know uh, immerse, uh, immersive immersive uh, uh, feeling atmosphere that that you are really trapped in there and that there's a real danger and that basically you have to kind of develop a kind of instinct where mm. a danger could be and and I really liked how you described it that that you played it on the hard level and then later when you switch back to easy you kind of were flying through those levels yeah because you exactly you developed that 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 kind of instinct that you knew where things could be and you basically without thinking at the beginning first of course you run into those things and you have to do it again and so on but uh, later you, you you develop this kind of gut feeling and say okay now i have to be very very uh, careful and right? quick and quick of course yeah but 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 again uh, the whole um, idea of um, different difficulty levels that's something that that basically did not exist in a lot of games in the 80s um, if you look at, at some old games yeah some do have those those difficulty levels but like 90 percent don't they just are as they are yeah. most of them are much too hard especially for for the younger generation when i try to play an old game with my daughter she always says it's too hard for her that's why we have um, trainers <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true yeah uh, and and uh, uh from a, from a protovision point of view, it's always important for us to make the game playable even for the less experienced players. And um, actually, uh, at least is my personal opinion, nowadays we have more uh, of those, you know, more casual gamers. Back then, when we started protovision, those people who were still playing on the C64, they were really the hardcore gamers, and, and high <laughs> difficulty level was okay. But nowadays the the audience has completely changed most of the people who who buy the Pro division games today are casual players 
sometimes on a on a Saturday evening have a few hours of time to enjoy with their good old trusty Commodore 64. And we want to have we want them to have a great time, right? And that's why there are different difficulty levels. And uh, for those who you know want to reach 100% and want to find all the treasures they can, but they don't have. To. Yeah. And also you've introduced continues, so you can continue from the level that you've that you finished before. So if you if you die on a level, you can't do that level again. You have to do the one before, but still you ha you can skip all the previous ones if you want, which is a really nice touch. This kind of brings us a bit to the end of our episode. And just um, for the listeners, I don't remember the prices of the games and where you can buy them. So if you want to remind our listeners how much these games are and where they can find them, and then where they can find you guys. Right. Thanks for giving us this opportunity. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. The website is very simple, protovision.games. Um, and there, click on shop. Um, and uh, in the in the shop, you can either choose games or downloads. I mean, yeah, games is actually the physical games, right? Uh, and downloads is, is all the digital stuff you can get. Um, yeah, I think you mentioned it. So, so we really want to, to uh, enable also those people who, you know, don't want to spend uh, lots of money on, on the physical editions. There are some, some very uh, low-priced uh, uh, good games for download. Um, Sam's Journey is the most expensive one with, with 20 euros for just for the download. But there are other ones like just 199 euro or 299 euro. Yes. So, so uh, I mean, back in the day where where we had, we where we didn't have downloads, um, I still remember. I still remember the discussion. Okay, shall we offer a download only version? That was a controversial discussion, like 15 years ago. But nowadays, mm. it's it's great because people can. I mean, they, of course, they can look at YouTube and see if the game is great, but they can also just buy the digital version um, and uh, get it for like, you know, $2.99 or $4.99. And if they like it so much that they think, okay, I want to have this in this physical edition, then they can, can come back and, and click on, on, uh, on games. Uh, there you get the physical edition of all the games with exact description, a cartridge uh, or disc version and so on. Um, yeah, starting from from like for costume, it's like uh, thirty five euros. Uh, Muddy Racers forty five uh, euros, um, and I think uh, Sam's Journey. Not sure if it's actually available in stock right now, but I think it is. Uh, yeah, it's fifty euros. Some people say, oh, "Wow, this is very expensive," but um, yeah, to be honest, it's quite. You know, um, if you try to calculate. Uh, um, like a like a like a wage, like how how many. Um, bucks per hour does the original author of the game get it's um, yeah probably the cleaning lady over there gets more <laughs> <laughs> um, so so um, rest assured that you know the 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 cartridge i mean um, so a lot of production many of, of those people who yeah many many people who buy cartridges today were not around in the 90s when you know there were those ocean cartridges. Some some may may remember mm, that yes. the Commodore tried to launch the C64 console, and there was were ocean cartridges. And there was an interview where Ocean revealed how many cartridges they had to sell to make a break even. Ten thousand, okay, ten thousand before they even make money. 
nowadays it's a bit better. We have other ways and, and uh, we have optimized the, the cartridge and so on. Um, but still, um, it's, it's a cartridge is, 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 a, is an expensive thing to do. So um, every little uh, uh, penny you invest, I think it's totally worth it. So um, yeah, please come visit our website and, and uh, go for those titles. And support the developers so they make more games that you like. Feel free also to give feedback, write uh, reviews uh, on, on our website or do a short uh, YouTube video and uh, don't hold yourself back if you have anything uh, you know negative to say, improvement ideas, we are also open for that. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you. Game at newgameoldflame.com is where you can write your emails, get in touch with us and on Discord as well. Soon we're going to have a high score challenge for you guys. Uh, it's been cool to have you and thanks again. Thank you. And hope to hear from you again in the future and hopefully with more games and more good news for now i'll say goodbye to all you listeners thank you for listening and take care thank you malt aka thunderblade have the best of time thanks thank you, a lot. diego and Guido. thank you for having me it was a great evening see ya <laughs> bye bye thank, thank you thank you and happy retro gaming everyone